Welcome to this week's A Story to Tell with me, Richard Bobazan. Had Sarah Curran in today from Cardiff Metropolitan University, and we spoke all about feet. Enjoy. Always has a really weird ending, doesn't it? But let's get the party started by Pink. Here till midday, it's Richard Bovazan here with you. We've got a lovely guest today called Sarah Curran. She's a professor at Cardiff University and uh, can't wait to chat to her very shortly. I can see her now on the Zoom. She's looking very nice, so it's all good. Right, so that's going to be Sarah Curran. If you have any questions for us, all about feet today. So, uh, so yeah, feet or knees. So give us a ring, not ring, give us an email. It's studio at radiobath.com is the easiest way to do that. So, uh, so yeah, she'll be coming up fairly shortly. Here is a bit of stay by Shakespeare's sister. If this world is wearing thin, and you're thinking of... Now, I've already been corrected. It's not Cardiff University. Apparently, it's Cardiff Metropolitan University. So, uh, so yeah, apologies to all of those people out there so we have the lovely sarah good morning sarah hopefully you can good hear morning me. richard there you go you can hear me fantastic it's always a strange thing with a zoom one because you can't hear me until we go live but uh, there we go <laughs> so how are you today i'm very well thank you good 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 so today is all going to be all about feet and knees isn't it so uh, so yeah you, it is indeed you don't sound like you're from cardiff no no i'm not i'm 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 probably a little bit Wenglish. I've, I've lived in, in Wales probably longer than I've lived in England, but I'm originally from, from Liverpool. Um, I grew up near Bristol, and um, I went to university at Cardiff and went back to Bristol University to, uh, for around about 18 months, and then um, I've been back in Cardiff ever since, really. Wow. It's, uh, f- Cardiff's a fantastic city. It really is. I love going it to Cardiff. Is. It it's, uh, you know, I, I've yeah. been to the stadium a number of times and what's great about the stadium is right in the centre so you just kind of walk out mm-hmm. it's kind of showing something here isn't it you walk out the pub and straight into the stadium it's, uh, it's fantastic yeah, absolutely do you know, do you know what? We, we interview a lot of our students for our programme um, and programmes actually and it's it's one of the key features we get in discussions with, with them and their parents and, and, and their partners because Cardiff's quite a small city but it's easy accessible as well so i think that's one of the the the, the brilliant features of it yeah no it's 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 a great city so you are a professor so what are you a professor in tell us all about it okay so my my actual title my personal chair is is also known as is a professor of podiatric medicine and rehabilitation so what that means is um i'm a professor of um lower limb and rehabilitation relates to the mechanics and the, all the rehabilitation um, articles and my specialities, which I have done o- over the years. Okay, and how did you get into it then? Um, well, it probably goes back to, to, to my childhood. Um, if if any of my teachers are, are listening now, which I'm kind of like a little bit twitchy of, because obviously I did go to school um round in in the southwest area um i was probably not the brightest i was i was uh, very focused on sport i love sport sport was my life and, and i know my mum and dad are listening and they'll uh, reiterate that as well um and i played 
a range of sports and I was particularly good at hockey um, and unfortunately I received uh, sustained a quite a serious knee injury when I was about 14 15 oh. and I snapped one of my tendons in my knee my, my patella tendon my kneecap tendon um, I had surgery on it. it didn't go quite well I had loads of complications I was in hospital for quite some time and missed school for about 18 months and I had to really, really learn to walk and uh, walk again um, and run again and got got back into hockey but I was really never the same player again I lost a lot of my speed I was a forward and then I had to go back playing defence on a sweeper and really that wasn't my skill set I used to dribble the, 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 the ball out the D much to my coach's annoyance um, and then I started having problems with my foot um, as a, the older I was getting and I found I had what we call a tarsal coalition which is a bar of bone growing between the heel bone and the talus bone which is just underneath your shin bone of your ankle um, and the only way around it would, was to get it fused so I had it done once but but then it didn't work I had to have it done again but prior to that I'd already started my podiatry degree and I think really what happened when I was rehabilitating with my knee um, I think that I because I was having continued problems with it I, I really had to think about my career and I wanted to be quite active in a career like be a PE teacher or something like that and I was told by my surgeon you need to really think about what you're doing and I was quite inspired by all the allied health professions who were part of my rehab but I knew I wasn't bright enough perhaps to be a medic or, or and, and, and maybe savvy enough to, to, to be a physio and but I wanted to do something different and, and I read around and podiatry really caught my eye and and the the opportunities I think the, the podiatry profession offered was um, was just excellent, and it, it kind of like went on from there. And I think having a foot problem and a knee problem, it made me understand biomechanics, how we walk a lot better. So that self experience really truly has kind of like followed me through right throughout my career. So you're a press, professor at Cardiff Met University. I'll get it right this time. Yeah. Um, I, I see when I was looking at it, it's like you're an honorary professor from Dublin, though. How does that work? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. so it's, it's a little bit more more, um, uh, more west than that. Uh, um, it's, it's Galway, University okay. of Galway in Ireland. So that all evolved around, so to become an honorary professor, you go through the same process. Again, you've got to have an interna- international reputation, a national reputation, and, and profess to be, you know, excel in, in areas which you should excel at. And um, and I was um, Galway's external examiner for some years, and then I started, to, once I finished my external examinership, um, they're an absolutely lovely team over there, um, I started teaching for them. So I started teaching sports uh, medicine, and, and I used to, each year I used to go out and, and work with a team and do some lecturing for, for their students. So that's how it's evolved. And I've been been a, an honorary prof there for, for quite some years as, as, as well. And I know we were chatting a, a few days ago and kind of you definitely feel inspired to do what you do because, as I say, you weren't necessarily looked upon as being that bright when you were younger. Is that true? Definitely, yeah. I mean, you know, again, I, I reiterate my mum and dad are listening. I'm pretty stubborn. And I think when someone says I can't do anything, it kind of like makes makes me a little bit more more determined. And, and I've kind of, I remember Einstein saying, you've got to have a good imagination to have creativity. And I think that that was something which was elementary, uh, kind of, um, 
embedded in me slightly at school because I quite like art as, as well, but I was never good enough to, to, to be um, art, um, arty. Um, but it, it's having that creativity, and I think that has been the golden thread throughout my teaching career. I'm very privileged in the position I am in because I do teaching and I do research and I do clinic. So I get an, uh, the best of a number of worlds really. And to, you know, to be an academic, I'm very proud to be an academic. It's served me well. It's taken me all across over over the world. Um, I've met you know many people who have inspired me themselves. Students inspire me. My patients inspire me. Um, and but yeah, it, it's it's just having that determination. I think because you'll have more knockbacks mm. than than positives. And if I always say to students, my CV is reasonably quite long now. But if I put all my failures on my CV, <laughs> it'll be three times as long. And, and you know, it, it's learning is, is a journey. It's never an end product. And I've still got loads to learn as well. And I'm always open and honest with my students as well regarding that. I don't know everything. I, I won't, you know, confess to, to, to say I do know everything. It's, um, and I think that's the beauty. I think that's the beauty of life as well. Yeah, I mean, for so, those that don't know, I'm a dance teacher. And, uh, yeah, you have that moment of kind of feeling like you are the expert. And then you watch somebody doing something think, I can't do that. Um, it doesn't make you any less yeah. of a person or less of a teacher. You then just need to learn how to do that part. Um, we're going to have a little break for some adverts in a second. We're going to talk about National Feet Week. But before we do that, I, I'll be honest with you. I've got distracted while, we, while we've been talking here. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be really honest here because uh, Sarah's doing this via Zoom. And behind her chair, she has the most amazing light, which, uh, which I can't see fully. And it's like, that, that is, I'm trying, that's, what, block, is it not Blockbuster? What was that program? It, 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 it reminds you of the hexagon from Blockbuster, doesn't yeah. it? It's just a light. It's just like an LED light. I am meant to, I can change it on, on, um, on my app, on my phone. <laughs> it's not working. It was going to be lilac. I'm just stuck on light blue at the moment. So, yeah, can I have a pee, please, Bob? That was always the uh, the moment from that, wasn't it? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it just looks like the little hexagon's going down. So, uh, so yeah, my little distracted mind definitely got uh, distracted by that. But, uh, but we're going to come back after the break with more about National Feet Week and Sarah. Many years ago, I could reach those notes. Not for a while, though. Right, we're back with Sarah then. So we're going to talk about National Feet Week, which I'll be honest with you, until I spoke to yourself, I didn't even know National Feet Week existed. Tell us about National Feet Week, Sarah. Okay, um, so National Feet Week is running from Monday through to Sunday of this week, and it's really um, kind of like promoting and celebrating all good is what about feet getting getting the public to recognize i think the importance of um how how our feet are and and how they influence uh, the rest of our body really yeah i mean i i remember when i was i think i was about 16 or so similar to yourself i used to play a lot of sport and uh and yeah i apparently broke my metatarsal in my foot uh, i didn't realize that i strapped it up for a year and carried on playing football um, and thought it hurts quite a lot, but I'll just carry on anyway. Eventually went to uh, went to the hospital because it got quite painful. Cycled there and came out on crutches. <laughs> so you kind of got to look after your feet, haven't you? It's, Definitely, uh, it's it's that old notion, isn't it? You don't realise how important your feet are until something goes wrong with them. I mean, when when we look at how our feet are, I mean, a quarter of our bones 
my body are in our, in our feet. We've got 26 bones in each each foot. Uh, we've got 33 joints, 19 muscles, 10 tendons, and 107 ligaments. And, it, and it's we've got three arches, and they beautifully adapt walking on uneven surfaces. They support the body, and it, it's just an amazing amazing um, engineering concept. They are. Now, we're going to talk footwear later on. As I say, I'm a dance teacher, play a lot of sports. So footwear for me is really quite important. But we're going to talk about the quality versus quantity of steps. Now, most people will know the classic of doing 10,000 steps a day. What does that mean? Okay, um, so this has gained a, a lot of attention in, a, in the literature. And it's something I touch on um, with my undergrads and, and, and master's students in, in, in particular. And it's also something which I speak to a number of my patients about in terms of rehabilitation. So so the 10,000 um, steps a day is kind of like a little bit of a... Of a, of a, a false positive to, to a certain extent. It came about back prior to the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo. And it was because this company from, from Japan were designing this pedometer and it was called 10,000 Steps. And it was, I think the original word was manakapiki or something like that. And apologies, I don't speak Japanese. Um, and it kind of like stuck. And, and of course, you've got all these products on the market now in terms of watches and, and you can have traditional pedometers as well you can get pedometers on your on your phone through apps um and it's kind of like stuck but there has been a number of of, of research papers out there actually saying you know do we actually need ten thousand steps and if you look on if you if you happen to google it you'll you'll come across quite a wide ranging feature of between four thousand through to eighteen thousand steps a, a day of course, the fitter you are, the more active you are, if you've got more of a manual job, you're going to be hitting probably over that 10,000 steps um, a, a, a day. They, they do say b- b- between um, um, anything between around about 8,000 steps is, is good. And if I read a paper um, in a, a few months ago and they were saying that the sweet spot for most people is around about seven uh, 7k um you should be getting around around eight to, to ten if you're if you're under the age of 60 um any uh, and around about four to six if you're if you're over 60 but it depends on how mobile you are don't be governed by by your age you know be governed by you know how how you know providing you've got no health issues or anything like like that um i mentioned i use the notion of steps per day in terms of my rehabilitation for some of my patients when the new year hits, I always used to get an influx of patients, typically around February time, middle of February, beginning of March. They set themselves a New Year's resolution in order to become fitter, eat healthier and so forth. And and, and they often used to come to me with, with shin pain and, and, and uh, foot pain and knee pain because they've been overdoing it and they've been decided to run for charity or whatever they wanted to do to, loo- to lose weight. And some people go into it quite heavily, and and they don't maybe plan out, um, and that can be quite quite um, quite quite problematic for them, particularly if they've not acclimatised their body to it, and and or maybe they're not a runner because you know as well as I do, Richard, you see people on you know like the London Marathon. Some people have got the ability to have a good running style. And there are people who are much more naturally good runners. Some people are naturally more good at dancing or maybe a naturally good footballer or a rugby player, depending on their body type and so forth. Um, walking in, in 
decades gone by as perhaps being perceived as not being good enough, not being good enough to get that heart beating. But in actual fact, it is actually one of the better forms of exercise, which can increase your well-being, reduce obesity, which is a silent epidemic at the moment, really, which we're, we're having across the world, not just in the UK, um, and engages people. I do walking. I go out walking, walking the dog, and it helps me switch off. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's really one of the, the key features I think I use this part of my rehabilitation for my patients. So we get them to walk two to three thousand steps a day if they're rehabilitating from an injury and we get them to increase it. Now there are, as I said, there are modalities which you can use to, to record your steps. Don't get too governed by that because I I, I go off my steps. I always try and hit ten thousand steps. It's the guide. And I do get my knickers in a twist, so I don't quite hit my 10k every day. But you know what? Tomorrow's another day. Um, so, so you, you know, you, 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 you kind of like just aim for, for that, and and you look at the whole week or the whole month yeah. because it's it's like anything, isn't it? Like a diet is consistency, and rehabilitation has to be consistent. Um, and we often get asked, you know, patients often ask us that, you know, do I need to keep up with my exercises? Do I? And 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 of course you do. It's about that sustainability of of of, of effort, I suppose. And as we get older, strength and conditioning does become a lot more important. Being mobile has an effect on cartilage. You you want, you know, cartilage secretes synovial fluid. We know as we get older, synovial fluid decreases. So we, we need to, to be, you know, mobile as much as we can. So, you know, your synovial fluid, your, your cartilage is like a sponge and it releases that synovial fluid to re- lubricate and, and act as nutrient. And if you're not using your joints, if you're not mobile, you're going to become stiffer. Well, I always go back to a, uh, a class which we once did, and uh, we were doing an aerials class, and it was uh, it was really quite a complex class. Um, and and there was a couple in there that were in their mid eighties, and myself and Zoe, my my, my wife, we uh, we looked and we were like, we know what we've got planned. How are they going to do this? And they were the best in the class yeah. by an absolute mile yeah. on that yeah. occasion. Um, and they were exceptional. Yeah. And I've always kind of used those as an example of age is just a number. Um, and it's how mobile you are, as you say, to do it. Now, I played golf yesterday, first time in six months. I have to say I was shattered afterwards. <laughs> Quite a lot of walking in the end, up, up and down hills. Um, but yeah, my steps yesterday were 24,500, including dancing. That's and impressive. That's, it's, yeah. it's quite a lot. And, you know, I, I spoke to the previous presenter, Gerald, and he said, how are you? And I went, I'm shattered. <laughs> so, <laughs> doing that amount. But yeah, I mean, I kind of keep kind of a track. But yeah, the previous day was just under 6,000. So I shouldn't get too disheartened about that then. Definitely not, no. And I have to tell myself this and remind myself about it as, as, as well because you need to, to, to look at the overall rather than focusing on, on, on one day. And, and I mean, how many steps would you do in a dance class? Uh, that's a really good question, which it depends massively if you're a lead or if you're a follow. If you're a follow, then you would probably do three times the amount that a leader would do because a leader quite often stands still and passes his partner forwards and backwards as a kind of general rule. So you'd often end up standing still much more as a leader. So, uh, but I, I, do you know, I'm dancing tonight. I'm going to measure it for you. Well, I guess as well, it depends on what type of dance you're doing. If you're yeah. doing a jive, if you're doing a quick step, if you're doing a waltz. You've got different stride lengths as well, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's we're we're more kind of like salsa without the footwork, so it's it's much more kind of walking dance as much as anything else. Um, yeah. So it is yeah. a lot of steps, but uh, yeah, definitely from the follows perspective, you do many more steps than you do as a leader. I I know if I dance three dances a follow, 
I'm much more tired than if I'm a leader because I've become efficient as a leader. That's how I like to say yeah. it. Some people yeah. say lazy, but I like to use the word efficient. So, um, yeah. so yeah. that's a really good point, actually, because what they're, they're also saying as well is we, we're, we're getting hung up over quantity of steps. Yeah. And it's actually the quality. So we, as human beings, become try to use the most efficient way of ambulating from going from A to B. And... It, what happens is if you become quite, if you're going out for daily walks, you need to make your walks a little bit more challenging. So swing your arms. I mean, I've done done um, labs, physiology labs, and where I've kind of like taped students' arms together and I've put oxygen masks on them to record their oxygen consumption and okay. number of calories. And they're not as efficient when they're they're not using their arms. But when you when you do stride, um, you you use energy as 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 well. Um, so be mindful of how you know how you're actually walking. Some people walk with with hand weights as as, as well if if you can do do that. But it is about the quality of walking. One thing which I, is it does concern me, and I see it a lot when I'm out walking the dog. Some people are walking um, looking at their phone. Yeah. So they've got a flex posture. Their neck is flexed. They're, so their gait style is their walking style is is not very fluent at all, and it's 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 really quite concerning because I mean when you think of our everyday lives, particularly in lockdown, we all become quite we were all sitting a lot, a lot more, and we even though we were going out, we were not you know being as mobile as what we were in in, in normal times. Pardon the pen. No, I mean the only advantage of walking along with your phone though is it does remind me. So a, a picture came up today of myself and my father when we went to Twickenham ten years ago, and. <laughs> reminded me i was on in a coach okay and uh it was after the game so we were all leaving but obviously as a coach leaving after the game going very very slowly there was genuinely somebody walking along with their phone and it was a it was a group of RAF people in the coach and uh, yeah. yeah they were looking at their phone and they walked I promise you head first straight into a lamppost in front of a bus full <laughs> of RAF blokes and you've never heard such laughter in your entire life no sympathy <laughs> was involved whatsoever so uh, so yeah it does create some comedy moments which is always quite good well when we come back after the break we're going to talk about footwear because for me it's something I'm really keen to talk about so uh, so yeah have a quick break mm-hmm. and then we'll be back hey. after that Now, has anybody noticed the links that are going on here? This is Dancing Feet, Kygo featuring DNCE. Before the news, we had Jerry and the Pacemakers and You'll Never Walk Alone. I believe there's some Stilton going along with the cheese there. So it's Richard Bovazan here for you till 12 o'clock today. We have Sarah Curran from Cardiff Met University joining us for the second hour as well. Hello, Sarah. How was your cup of tea? Oh, very nice. Thank you. Very nice. <laughs> it's always important to get a cup over the news. It really is. So uh, so we're going to talk about footwear now, okay? which is very dear to my heart. Now, I know the, the classic thing you see is quite a lot is that you can have somebody that is wealthy or well-to-do buy an expensive pair of shoes that cost £100 that they have comfort for that lasts them 10 years. Or you have somebody that's not so well-to-do buying 10 pairs of shoes that cost £10 and being in, un- in comfort. I don't think incomfort is a word, but let's go with it anyway. Okay. So, yeah, kind of what's your feeling about shoes? Well, shoes have, have been around for, for, you know, quite a few, few years. <laughs> a couple <laughs> a few of years centuries, now. A few million years. Um, 
and they've evolved. They we wear them as as a protective mechanism, really, because obviously the the ground we walk on has has debris on you know i don't know about you but i'm not too sure i'd like to go walk in a dog and and stand on little pebbles and, and little twigs you know there'll be quite a few injuries um but there 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 is a notion of why do we need shoes and some people believe and i can remember listening to a podcast a few years back when i was on holiday uh, as you do and one and it was one of the professors in america who who uh, i admire her work completely um she referred to footwear as as being coffins of putting your feet in coffee you know okay. in coffin boxes and i thought that was a little bit exaggerated i mean working in podiatry and, and if any pods or students are listening to this call um um today is is Footwear is probably the most challenging aspect of our of our of our job in terms of education and trying to get patients to engage in what the most ideal footwear is. Now, we know that footwear has been worn for, for you know even if we go back to Egyptian times, you know they they've worn shoes, they've they've worn um, moccasins as well. And there's been an argument to say when did left and right actually get introduced and and we think it was around about the 1850s 1854 they think the, the history on it is a little bit um is a little bit nebulous really trying to track it down um and and that was because they just made the shoes from a straight last uh, effectively and i've done work with mary rose in portsmouth and i've looked at the footwear there and you can actually see that the last was quite straight, um, but you can see the, how they wore them, that it naturally, because it was made often as of cow's leather, the, the shoes would actually mould that lateral bowing, that outside bone as you get on, on the outer part of your feet. Um, and it will mould to how you, how you wear it as, as, as well. Um, we need to make sure that our, our the footwear we wear is is has got enough room in it. Um, so there's enough room to wiggle your toes. There's enough enough um, depth um, as well. And particularly as we get older, um, our, our you know our feet do become a little bit more stiffer. We tend to get more toe deformities, so hammer toes and clawing as well. And some people end up getting what we call bunions, which is French word for onion, effectively. But that's where your big toe drifts over, and that occupies more space. So you need more room. And this is where you say about the cheap and more more costly uh, shoes um the more costly a shoe is is because maybe the material it's made from so if it's soft leather it will adapt to the shape of your foot um uh, you know a little bit better than perhaps if you buy a cheaper shoe where it's made made of different type of synthetic material so it's less forgiving um I always say to, to to some patients, and I do it myself, if I'm wearing in a new new pair of shoes, um, to is to wear two two pairs of thin socks, so you've got that anti friction if you're suffering from blisters. Now you've mentioned Richard that you play football or, or have played I football yeah, in, I still in the do. past. You still do, yeah. Um, so I've treated so many footballers in years gone by, and they are notorious for wearing their football boots pretty tight because mm. they like to feel the ball when yeah. when when they're playing. And I do get that. Um, but and, and I used to have a number of players coming in with sometimes obviously Achilles tendinopathy, tendon problems, but often they'd have um, um, suffer with lots of blisters, and it used to kind of like curtail their training and what have you. So sometimes I just put a small, slightly small um, heel raise in both shoes, very small, just to lift them out a bit, just to, to stop it rubbing. So there are different things which you can do, but obviously not to ups, offset your mechanics too too much because. Let's face it, when our footwear hurts, it can really knock how we walk, um, you know, how we can walk to going to the shops and, and, and what have you. And I have to mention, you're obviously a dance teacher. Um, 
probably the the, the biggest um, frustration I think for, for not not just for me for many pods is high heels. Right. Um, now there's been a multitude of studies done right across the world in the UK, and and I've done studies. I've I've done keynote lectures in in, in Canada and also across the UK as well, and and, and written articles on it. And, and saying about high heels. So if I said to you, which do you think is better, a wide heel or a stiletto heel? Very good question. I mean, obviously, I wear them on a daily basis. Okay, so let me put that out there first of all. I'm, I'm regularly wearing <laughs> high heels. But um, no, I, I suppose the only link I can go back to is I wore some Cuban heels once, and that really threw me quite a lot because they're about an yeah. inch inch high. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose you'd think a wider block heel would be better than a stiletto heel because it would give you more stability that's my initial thought process but i'm yeah, gonna make a wild uh, guess yeah. go on yeah no i mean that's exactly you know, even as a biomechanics you know person who who's interested in this stuff is so if we look at the knee if we use the knee as an example and the force is going on through the knee as we're walking so if we're wearing a stiletto um the force is going through the knee around about 22 percent higher than it would be on a flat okay. and if you're wearing a white heel it's 26 percent wow. forces so slightly higher now to be honest i understand and i thought a wide heel you're increasing surface area yeah. so it would be better but effectively the notion is all high you know some people say all high heels are bad and and and, and i have to i do sit in that camp but if we end up saying to our patients don't wear any high heels at all then then we will we will disconnect with our patient population that's important but there are certain high heel heights you can kind of like communicate them with now again it's evidence-based in the literature a heel of one to four centimeters is reasonably okay now lots of our patients or many of the public will be wearing high heels on a daily basis and they're very much used to it problem is when you're wearing high heels you are increased to falling downstairs or falling upstairs so if you get home from work and you've had your high heels on all day and you take them off and you run upstairs you're not at, you've got to adjust when you go back down again particularly yeah, yeah. when you're going down too because the the actual heel height has, has changed so but often there's a lot of reports in from a and e where people have actually fallen down the stairs when they've been barefoot but they're notorious for wearing high heels but if you look at the forefoot um, if you're wearing a, something around about a 7.5 centimeter heel, the pressure is on your knuckle area of your of your forefoot, so what we call the metatarsal area, the metatarsal phalangeal joint areas. Um, that increases pressures by 75 percent, wow. which is high. That is massive. Yeah. If you go down to five centimeters, then you're talking around about it being around about 57 uh, percent, and if you go down to 2.5, it's around about 22 percent. So I'm thinking so again, about. I'm thinking about this the is dancers. How you yeah, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about the dancers and quite regularly that I'm going to go back to inches here for no good reason whatsoever, but it's just in, it's in my head. Um, so mm-hmm. general dance shoes for the follows are about inch and a half is what we generally yeah. have. And they're, yeah. they're quite a block heel as well. So it's actually the width of the heel itself is the standard dance shoes. And I remember Zoe, when we first competed in 2009, she didn't think they looked dainty enough for her. So she then wore three inch heels and genuinely she was like Bambi on ice. She couldn't walk or dance in them in any way, shape or form. And after one round, which thankfully we got through, um, she went back to her normal heels and she was actually quite stable again. So I'm guessing stability, you know, especially if you get older as well, with your natural stability is going to reduce. So yeah. I'm trying to think of, do I see many 80 year olds wearing high heels? 
I, we I, do get them coming into clinic to be you? fair where they've got that still slight heel and we often have to educate them to say look you are you know i mean there are 150 risk factors for falling anyway and obviously <laughs> you know footwear is one of them be it if it's high higher heels or, or, or not um so 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 the, the problem is as well we have rich is is the the, the ballet pumps they're also okay. a big bugbear for us oh, well. on, why so is that, going completely flat is not very good as well because they've got no support and we want we want the footwear it's it's a bit like goldilocks and the three bears isn't it we don't want the porridge too hot we don't want it too cold we want it to to be you know happy medium and and when you wear high heels and you wear them you know day in day out many of our you know our, our patients you know many patients have come to see me um where they've got knee pain because when you wear high heels you tend to flex your knee a little bit more so that can increase pressure at the back of your kneecap um your bum tends to stick out which can be you know you know for, for most people aesthetically pleasing but you're, you're increasing the forces going through the bottom of your spine your achilles tendon doesn't get get stretched enough so because you're plantar flex you're flexing your foot so when you do go to wear flat flat shoes you can't because you, you've, you're walking with a little bit you know a bit more bouncy because you can't get your heel down because your Achilles is tightened up you get toe pain you get you, you get forefoot pain and women are notorious as well for wearing shoes particularly if they're wearing stilettos where but there's no anchor strap yeah they it like sucks on i've done it myself in years gone by and I, and it goes like that sucking motion to try and put it on and again that has been reported that women wear too sh- small a shoe um, to, to, to fit, fit. So if you're ever going out shopping for any footwear at all, um, I will say this to the students, always encourage your patients, patients to go at the end part of the day because as we, as we go through okay. the day, our feet begin to swell a little bit more. So if, you, if you're going to, to go shopping, actually go during, during the day, at the end of the day. So here's a personal question then, or a personal question from my perspective, okay? So I always believed <laughs> right throughout my childhood and early adulthood that I was a size 10 Okay, I generally wear size nine or nine and a half now. So, do your feet shrink as you get older, or do they stay the same? Because I definitely wear different ones now. They they can, I suppose. um, If you if you put on a lot of weight, your feet generally tend to go flatter, and and obviously we 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 just don't put weight on on our tummy or on our arms. We put on weight. You know, all over us. So um, you 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 do lose a little bit of weight off your feet. It won't change the structure in it, in essence. But I do. I will say, every company um, will or, or every manufacturer will use different lasts. So how they devise their lasts, like the American companies, their lasts are, I believe, they're slightly smaller than the UK or European. Okay. So. It's like if you if you buy clothes from different yeah, different yeah. shops as well. It's always the expensive. It, it, you know, cl- it's always the ex- It's always the expensive clothes shops that you magically now are size eight, even though with the rest of them you're a size ten or twelve. So, uh, so it might yeah, be a little bit of that. It, it, yeah, it, it, exactly. And we are governed by numbers, aren't we? And rather than by, by by fit, and I suppose because we buy a lot of stuff off the internet now from our own home, which is good. Um, you, you know, we don't always yeah, and you can try before you buy. But sometimes there's nothing more beats it maybe trying it on in in the shop perhaps as, as as well. But you can walk around in in footwear at home anyway. I know that we're, we're coming to to the summer now as well. Um, well, I, I know it's it's still a bit chilly at the moment. Doesn't look like it out there today. I know. Well, we're, we're in Wales, so obviously you know we've got wet feet. I think it always <laughs> rains in Wales. 
Um, but um, flip-flops is something many of our patients come in on sliders as, as, as well. And, and we really, you know, don't recommend them because they do expose your feet to, to you know, to, to damage or, you know, dropping stuff on. But in actual fact, you actually toe grip. And if you've got a pair of flip-flops on in, in the coming months, actually have a look at how your toes are gripping um, because the anchorage to keep those flip-flops on um, and are not so good. And it's an elegant reminder, actually. I, I said to, to some of the students uh, first years a few weeks ago, um, do you really need toes to walk? And I kind of like they were going, oh, oh, it made them think. And you do, you, you know, you know, your toes serve a purpose for balance and, and you know, and the propulsive phase of, 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 of walking. And I'm sure if you were dancing, if you didn't have your toes, you, you'd, you'd struggle to do your, your pivots and, and so forth. Well, do you know what? Talking about toes and dancing has led me on to a whole different conversation, which we're going to have. We're going to have a little break for music. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to introduce you to one of my favourite dance phrases, which is Paul's claws. So uh, we'll have a little break for music and then we're going to come back and talk all about paws and claws. So here's Lewis Capaldi. It's Richard Burfson here until midday today. I knowing what you're thinking And hearing how your day has been do you think you can tell me everything, darling? But leave out every part about him. Right now you're probably by the ocean. While I'm still out here in the rain. With every day that passes by since we've spoken. I reckon if I gave you 20,000 guesses, you'd never guess who that was by. I love the track. I never knew who it was by, though. It's by Matthew Wilder. That was a request from Zoe, just to let her know. Give her a shout-out as well. Um, we've had a message in from the lovely Sarah, and she says she's been working on feet in her classes this week in honour of Foot Week. She is a Pilates teacher. So, uh, so yeah, feet are really important. Now, before the break, I spoke about paws claws. Welcome back, Sarah. Hopefully you're there. Yeah, I am. There we go. Good. Oh, there was that momentary today delay. And I was like, oh, <laughs> she's gone. Um, but uh, yeah, pause, pause. So I talk about this quite a lot regarding how you dance and how you use your feet when you're dancing. So if you imagine taking a step back, almost not quite doing a moonwalk, but taking a step back with your foot. And what most people do to start with anyway, is they step back and they start on the ball of their foot and then go through onto the heel and sometimes that's a bit clunky and you kind of got the two parts then that matter and what I talk to them about is trying to do what we call pause claws and I compare it or compare it even to our little cat that we've got at home and I imagine that they've got their paws out like that I'm showing this on zoom by the way to Sarah I pause on like that and then we have the claws that come out and I try and treat the toes as claws so therefore when they're rolling through their foot they hit their toes first then the ball of the foot and then the heel and that gives them an extra 33 percent connection to the floor now question for yourself is that a good idea well in, in terms of strengthening the toes i think it's good because one of the 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 rehabilitation or some of the management approaches we use for a number of our patients and particularly as we get older is is um scrunching up a towel okay so you know sitting and standing and scrunching up a towel um so our toe like i said our toes 
have joints in them. They have uh, interphalangeal, you know, two interphalangeal joints, um, and they're meant to move. Joints are meant to move. If we don't move them, we do. Many people do begin to have problems of the, as we get older. If you bang it, you know, our toes are notorious for catching it on, you know, on on the bed and knocking it. And if we, you know, fracture it, I mean, they don't generally tend to to treat fractures of toes unless it's, you know, gone through the skin, um, but. You know, in the more severe ones, you end up, you know, losing that that, that flexion. So, it's it's not a bad thing. I think if it's done in a in a, a controlled way, but it's part of a strengthening approach. As we would do, you know, we would get scrunching at the towel, which was. I get what you're saying. Yeah, and just kind of thinking of my my wife's feet. She'll she'll love me for talking about this on air. She really will. Uh, so my wife did ballet for about twenty years when she was a child, and she had the pleasure of going up on point, which no doubt you've seen some ballet dancers. <laughs> oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the state of ballet dancers' feet when they do it full on professional, um, they are to be seen to be believed. But her toes are almost yeah. at a forty five degree angle from all of her point work, um, and she's always said that she might yeah. need to have them all broken again to kind of straighten them back up. I I don't think she's going down that route just yet but uh but yeah that must be quite excruciating to have all your toes broken oh uh, you, know, you know yeah it's not not something i mean you know she probably needs to talk to someone <laughs> about that <laughs> initially i mean i've seen a number of ballet uh dancers and and literally their forefoot was was square um you know and when amount of callous and hard skin I, I think what their feet go through is quite unbelievable um and and you know that the rotation in their hips is is pretty impressive i've just had damaging i've just had clarification from my wife who i've just found out is listening uh apparently it's just the big toe that's the problem not the rest of them (laughs) all right okay (laughs) (laughs) literally live on air she's like it's not all of them so uh just a big thing but yeah ballet dancers i mean they are going through absolute hell with their feet going up on point and i think what po- most people don't realize they have literally got their toes going into a wooden block with virtually no support whatsoever yeah um, yeah and-, yeah. Uh, and i think when you think about it, it is an extreme it's a skill isn't it it's a skill set it's you know it's like i wouldn't do i wouldn't like you no know, pirouette and go up on my toes to go and get the milk from the fridge really? and, it, and it's that learning <laughs> it's that loon response um you know you, you we've got this thing called wolf's law and davis's law so wolf wolf's law um really really relates to form follows function so our bones will adapt um accordingly if you keep on repeating a, a maneuver over a period of time and davis's law relates to soft tissue okay. so you, you know your tendons and, and ligaments will will acclimatize and adapt a, a, a accordingly um so and that's what happens to the to the ballet dancers and, and their structure probably will 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 be damaged because certain ligaments have become shorter as 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 well so moving on then to uh footwear going back to that very quickly about athletes footwear so you know i i know for instance when i play football if i'm you know if it's a really muddy pitch i'll i'll put big studs in uh, if it's an astroturf i'll just have my astroturf boots which have some grip but not too much grip and again yeah. for athletes they have their spikes cricketers wear spikes golfers wear yeah. you know kind of what's your thoughts on all of that yeah i mean uh, again this is where i'm really privileged to do my, my job i do I, I teach across the range of degrees and i, and I teach master's students on um and on the uh, sports exercise medicine masters and also our own masters as as, as well and it's useful to to get their take on it because i don't necessarily have a clinical background um 
But we've gone through phases and I've done research in terms of football boots where people have wore the conical studs and also all blades. Now, blades were quite popular quite a number of years ago. And you were, you wore blades, you know, in the forefoot and, and a rear foot. But what they were finding is people were stopping on the wet grass and carrying on because they didn't have any stopping yeah. mechanism. And also they were going over on, on, on their ankle quite, quite a bit too. So there's that blended approach now of blades and, and, and conical. I think the pitch is what um, rugby players and football players are playing on now. Um, I think have, have it caused more anterior ligament injuries. In, in particular and it, it's been quite problematic even with even with the cricketers I mean Joe Root for example he had an ACL injury very innocuous but it was probably his mechanism I'm not saying it was because of the way his foot was it can just you know the ACL can just go um, but footwear does contribute to it a lot golfers now you played golf yesterday I did you, well if you play a nine hole or an 18 hole I mean I played 18 holes and some you know when it's taking me a lot longer because I lose a ball but you can accumulate, you know, quite a few steps. And if you've got golf shoes on, um, you know, it, uh, one one company had a torsion bar a number of years ago, and it was really stiff. Hmm. Um, and you know, often when I see patients, I get them to bring their golf shoes in if they're a golfer, particularly if they've got you know big toe joint problems, because when you're when you're um, if you're um, teeing off, if or if you're using your pitching wedge or whatever, you've got to have that fluency in terms of you know your follow, you know, downswing and your follow through. And if you haven't got that rotation and the movement in, in, in your forefoot, it will affect the way you play. And and, and also if you if you walk in, in uncomfortable golf shoes or golf trainers, whichever you may be wearing, it will cause more foot pain as as well. And some of the studs are better. Okay, in the UK we, we tend to be more more wet, don't we? We tend to play on more wet grounds, particularly in the winter. So. Um <laughs> um, and obviously the summer's a little bit bit, bit different so you, you maybe don't need as much grip but the grip element is important and sometimes I think we need to have asymmetric type of golf shoes in terms of you know when when you're when you you know you're doing your you not as much you're putting but if, if you're driving off um, and then but that is what the one of the issues I think Richard as well is the companies for sport you know they put a badge on it and they sell it I remember being interviewed for X-Ray, BBC Wales um, X-Ray, years ago about tone and footwear and you know, having a, a workout in, in, um, in, in, um, in a shoe. Can you lose pounds by wearing this particularly unstable shoe? And, and you know, no, you know it's, it's not as simple as that. But, of course, it's the marketing campaigns, I think, which these companies, these footwear companies, absolutely do brilliantly at as, as, as well. And, and, you know, we've, we've, we went through a phase of running barefoot as well. I mean, it's gone about 10, 12 years ago now. And it, and it all stimulated from a paper published in the Journal of um, Nature Science, which wasn't reviewed properly, actually, but it was published by, by, by um, colleagues from Harvard University. And they were saying about if you run barefoot, you can you strike the ground with the forefoot and it's, you know, just to, to, um, decreases pressures in, 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 in your knee and in your foot a lot better. But if you and I just, I can't run anyway very well, but if you were to, to run over, you know, to go and get some milk or from Tesco and I got you to run barefoot, you would probably not strike the ground initially with your heel because you'll think, oh, that's going to really hurt, you know, striking the ground on the heel. So you're default to, to landing on your forefoot. But then after a few yards, you'll be thinking, I'm struggling, my calf's really hurting. Yeah. So we always think that running is where you can just go off and, and, and do it. And if, but if you're going to change you know your type of footwear traditionally most runners are heel strikers anyway 
and if you're if you're a, if you're a sprinter, you're going to be more of a four foot striker. Um, but if you want to change your running style, you have to do it over a period of time. It's, it, and, I, and often, what I when I used to see so many patients saying, "I want to run bet on my full foot," and they were going to to classes which paying up paying a lot of money. Mm. And I used to say to them, "Just shorten the stride length and and kind of like you know you know lift your knees a little bit to make you more efficient because our walking is meant to be energy efficient and our tendons store potential kinetic energy to to rebound i mean kangaroos have got it in in massive they've got huge achilles tendons and a big tail they're really really um efficient but we're not like them um so i think marketing campaigns um for for lots of uh, footwear in the sporting world uh, I do it very cleverly as well, and you've got to be mindful. There's been a number of studies on how much should you pay for a pair of trainers. Um, should you get it from a from a store in in town, or should you um, you know buy an expensive pair? Evidence actually indicates there is no difference. Um, it's it's personal choice. Um, they're just as good. Yeah. Um, trainers footwear will always wear out. Trainers are made out of EVA, ethylene acetate. They begin to to dry out. So they're not going to be as supportive. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I always used to think I, I needed a new pair because they, they weren't as white as what they used to. But you actually look for creases in the trainers and that's where the material is drying out and not being as supportive. I wonder if whilst you're uh, whilst you're talking there, and I did this earlier when you talked about wiggling your toes in your, in your shoes, I generally mm-hmm. wiggled my toes in my shoes at that point. And I'm wondering now, those people that are wearing trainers are looking down, looking for creases. And I'm looking down at my own <laughs> shoes thinking, oh, how are these shoes doing? So uh, these still feel quite comfortable. I think they're all right. But um, but yeah, um, we're talking about pitches earlier on, just very quickly about, you know, you've got the difference in pitches. Like I went to the London Stadium a couple of years ago and it's a 4G pitch now. So it has still got live grass, but it's actually got quite a lot of artificial grass in there as well. Now, needless to say, that's for the professionals. If you're looking at your average Joe Bloggs, who's a Sunday morning footballer, those pitches aren't going to be quite in the same. So should they be wearing different footwear for those types of environments? Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely, uh, you know, you've got to wear the right footwear for the right. It's like if it's pouring down with rain or if it's snowing, you wouldn't go out in flip flops. Well, some people probably would, but, you you know, generally, you you know, you you would you would dress according to, you know, to the conditions you're going to be doing. It's like if you want to go walk up a mountain, you probably wouldn't walk in flip flops. You'd walk, uh, uh, you know, in in hiking boots or a good pair of trainers. So if you if you weren't going to play Sunday morning football and and it's the, the ground is pretty, pretty wet, then you would go for longer studs to get more grip. Um, because otherwise you're going to be too unstable and you're going to increase your risk of getting injured. Yeah, whereas if you were, I suppose, on the harder ground that you'd want to almost go to AstroTurf boots, I suppose it would be that far yeah, extreme. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. And, and and that obviously can happen during, you know, a lot during the summer or pre-season um, training as, as as well. So it's kind of like this is where your, your, your selection, your wardrobe selection of of if you if you're a footballer, if you're a rugby player, you've you've got to have you know all footballers have their own favorite football boot. I mean, I, I did. I had my favorite hockey trainer in in, in particular. Um, I remember we went through a phase where when I was playing hockey and 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 I got these new trainers and they had grips along the side. It was for helping take penalty corners, and um, they were quite expensive for for that you know time. 
and um and everyone was wearing them and i went training um and we got told to shave them all off the side because there were reports people were getting them caught and going over on their ankle so manufacturers design these products with good intention to increase performance but in actual fact they induce more injury in, in 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 the long run and are you aware that hockey has influenced football are you aware of that in any way shape or form no, I wasn't. No. So I wasn't. hockey has massively influenced football. It may be subconscious, who knows? But I remember playing hockey, and I used to play reasonable level myself. Um, <laughs> and they used to talk about it at the back. They were like, "I cannot imagine why footballers are just giving the ball away. You play out from <laughs> the back, and you keep hold of the ball." And this is yeah. thirty plus years ago that I used to play hockey quite regularly. Um, yeah. And back then, that was kind of the norm. It's like. It's just absolutely crazy that you would even attempt to do a 50-yard ball, you know, shot or pass because yeah. it's just not going to come off. And they couldn't understand why footballers did that. And here we are 30 years later, and now football is basically played the same way as hockey. Right, yeah, I get what you mean now, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, they play at the ball out from the back. They literally have two people at the back in the six-yard box, play short balls, yeah. And, and yeah, the whole game is just a completely different game than it was 20 years ago. So, uh, so yeah, hockey has influenced football. Well, we're going to have a little break again for music and for the adverts. Uh, when we come back, we're almost at the quick fire round. I love the quick fire rounds. We'll be back after this. Thought I'd play that one for my dad, who's a big Rolling Stones fan. If you missed last week, by the way, they're all available on my podcast to, to listen to again. I did the A to Z of music last week. And uh, yeah, so if you go to Life Off The Stage on any good podcast provider, then uh, you can listen back to any of the interviews that I've done on Radio Bath over the last few months as well. But last week was the A to Z of music, which is quite good fun as well. Right, we're back with our last little part with Sarah. Then Sarah Curran from Cardiff Met University. She's a professor of podiatry. I've been desperately trying to say that correct all week. I really have been practicing and everything. I really have. So we're on to your quick fire round, which, as people know that are regular listeners, they don't get the option of knowing what these questions are. It's always quite scary. So, but the first one's always the same. So, Sarah, what is your favourite ice cream? Well, I'll have to be boring and go for vanilla. Uh, vanilla's been quite a popular choice. Is oh, it, there we are. Is it a good quality vanilla? Of course. Of oh, course. yes. It's about quality, isn't it? I, I had the pleasure. We had some left over in the freeze the other day of some Neapolitan. Is it Neapolitan? Ice cream, oh, which, yeah. ha- which has yeah. all the three. And for me, all three taste horrible it, together. They're just terrible. I love chocolate ice cream. I love vanilla ice cream. I don't like strawberry ice cream. Um, but yeah, they just they all kind of intermingle. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Are you tidy or messy? Um, I'd probably say tidy. It looks very tidy where you are. I don't know if it's Zoom tidy or not, but... Yeah, no, no, I'd say it's reason, yeah, I'm pretty pretty tidy until you open a drawer, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Excluding social media and messaging services or anything like that, do you have a favourite game on your phone that you wild the time away with? Ooh. You're now looking at your phone, aren't you? It used to be FIFA, football FIFA, but I don't do that anymore, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's that's the most different answer we've had so far, which is nice. Oh, there we are. There you go. Was it any good on the phone? I've never played on the phone. Yeah, not, not not too bad. There was also this um, goal shoot thing as well, how many times you can get a goal in. And the more you got, the more the goalkeeper moved and you come far further away from the um, from the football pitch. Okay. Uh, from the, the goal, sorry, yeah. So I used to get quite controlled in that, but it was too addictive. <laughs> 
it is a trouble, isn't it? You kind of you get a new game on your phone, and then it's like all of a sudden an hour's gone. You think, just think what I could have done with that hour. I know, I know. It's it's bad. I think that's why I subconsciously got got rid of it. Really, yeah, not a bad thing to do. Do you make your bed in the morning? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, completely. Why do you make Every your bed in the morning? morning. Why? why? Yeah. Um, I was going to say it will make me not go back in it again. But that's not the reason. I just it's it's just ready for the day. I don't like the the the, the bed, you know, left how I got up. No, it's got to be it's got to be tidy. That is the right thing to do. Uh, what is your favourite breakfast? Um, I would have to say poached egg on toast with a bit of avocado. Bit of avocado as well. I never understand avocado. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> if you had to, what would be your favourite or what would be your go-to karaoke song? Um. Oh, good grief! Yeah. You, you stumped me now. Um. I do you know what I don't know. Um. Your I'm not sure. That's okay. You don't have to have one. So you obviously haven't done karaoke then. No, I think that's why. To be honest, yeah. Richard, I, I've never, I'd never, um, pierce people's ears by trying to sing. <laughs> so you're not a singer then. <laughs> Oh, God, no, 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 far from it. I'm not really a dancer either. <laughs> I always like to use the word yet. Anyone can dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so anyone can dance. Uh, I ask this question purely because, you know, we do quite a lot of binge watching of TV programs and, you know, it's good to know what good ones are out there. So what's your favourite TV programme? Oh, to be honest, I don't really have fundamentally a TV programme. I love Christmas films. and okay. I've, If you ever turn my telly on, if, um, I've either got Sky Sports on or another sport channel. There's always a sport channel on. So, what would be every, your favorite? What's your favorite sport to watch then? Because I know for certain things, I love. I love cricket. Um, I love football. Um, I love mm. ru- you know rugby and a variety of different things. There are some sports like golf, for instance. Unless it's the Ryder Cup, it is the dullest thing to watch on TV. So, what's your favorite sports then to watch? And it's it's nipping it between rugby and football. To be honest. Um, I, get, I, I like watching hockey. I'll watch cricket. I'll watch your tennis. I'll watch your golf. Um, it depends what mood I'm in. Yeah. If, if I'm marking, I might have, I'll, I'll, I'll have, you know, the cricket or the golf on. Or I'll, if Liverpool are playing, I probably might not be marking. No. It depends on how well they're doing. It's quite difficult to watch football and mark at the same time. But cricket, you well, can kind I've of... I've got two eyes in the top of my head. <laughs> None two eyes. <laughs> Fair enough. And your last question then for Sarah is, if you came back in your next life as an animal, which one would you be and why? Um, I'd have to say an elephant because I think they're very clever. Ah, we haven't had an elephant yet, which yeah. is very good. Now, very sadly, I did a, uh, a Can You Guess the Animal with my seven-year-old daughter the other day and I started doing a variety of different shapes. She got all of them. Apparently, I was really good at this. So uh, an elephant was one of them. I just did a trunk with my oh, arm. <laughs> I'll be honest, it wasn't high-quality entertainment for her, but it passed two minutes of life. It really did. But, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed chatting to you, and I hope you've enjoyed it too. It's, yeah, um, I really have. It's, it's been good. The music has been fab, So, yeah. um, but thank you for having me. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I've learned a lot myself. So, uh, so yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. And, uh, yeah, if so we want to catch up on this again, uh, then I say this will be available as a podcast on Life Off The Stage. Look at any of your natural podcast providers we'll also pop a link out on facebook as well sarah thank you so much thank you have a good day and you bye-bye